Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. You can stop at Ephesians 4. We'll We'll get there in a second. But I, I do want to say that, you know, we, we've studied the first three chapters, and I, I think it's time to stop. We've gone nine weeks. This is the tenth week into the study. That we need to kind of review a little bit uh, of what has, what has Paul said to us. Because Paul basically took three chapters to say, okay, guys, you need to sit there and you, should, you don't do anything. Just listen to me. Sit with it. There's no action steps. There's no big game plan to, to do. This is God's action steps, the first three chapters here. And he did this so we could build a relationship with our Lord, that we could build a relationship with God about what God you know, thinks of us. And he uses religion. Paul uses religion, but he doesn't become religion. All religion is is spiritual action steps. So Paul just says, guys, just sit down and, and just sit with this. This is, this is everything that God has done for you. Ephesians 1, it says that, that he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we were predestined as adopted sons and daughters, that he redeemed us, that he bought us, that, that we were worth something. He is, you know, he's made us accepted to the Lord. He's given us an inheritance. And then down in verse 17 of chapter 1, he prays for us, just like he, he did last week as we talked about in chapter 3. In and, and chapter 1, he says, you know, may our eyes be open to the Lord, that we would start to understand our calling in this life and, and who Jesus is and what he means to us. Unfortunately, I, I believe that many of the teachings is all about what, what we're supposed to be doing. You know, I mean, if you've grown up in church for, for that long, you understand there's a list of things that you should be doing, right? You've been taught that all your life. I'm sure we could all write them down on the card, and I'd say about 80% of it would all be the same, because that's what we're taught. But we're not taught much about what God has done for you and I, other than Jesus dying on the cross. But what does God really, truly think of us? Then in chapter 2, Paul reminds us that, that before God, we were completely dead in our sins. And it's very blunt here that, you know, we were just dead. Not kind of dead, but really dead. And our sin makes us dead. Until we understand this, we won't be alive in Christ. You know, some of us feel that, that there's that work mentality, that, that if I can just do enough, if I can just be, be good enough, if I can just do these six things or ten things or twelve things, then I can be, you know, that I can be closer to God, that I can have a closer relationship with Him. You know, I'm a good person. I can get close enough. You know, I just, I just saw an interview this last week. 
an interview with Smiling Joel, as I call him. And some of you know what I'm talking about. His name's Joel Olstein. And normally, I, you know, I try not to get up here and knock people or knock other people's religions and stuff, but it was an interview with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. I mean, we're reaching a, a pretty wide audience. And Joel Olstein was presented this question. What if somebody came to you and asked you about the re- Republican candidate for president, Romney's religion? What, what would you say to them? And Joel Olstein kind of goes, well, you know, I, I got to smile. I'm sorry. I don't smile enough. Sorry, I shouldn't do that. But he, he basically said, I take a broader view. He says that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, so therefore I believe that they are Christians. And I have a problem with that. Why do I have a problem with that? Well, you get into the Mormon religion, you understand it. They believe we are all become sons of God, i.e. gods. We'll all be gods one day. That's what they believe. And for a Christian, a teacher who reaches... I mean, his church in Houston is 40,000. He reaches 10 million people on TV a week. And he's out there saying, well, I take a broader view. I'm sorry, biblically, that is incorrect. You read the Bible and that is wrong what he's saying. We have to be careful. Biblical teaching says that Jesus is the only son of God. The only son of God. See, we fall short of this glory of God, and he is the one who has saved us. He has made us who we are. He has made us alive in Christ Jesus because he died. Then down in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, no, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us and advanced to do. You know, we studied this word, this this word workmanship. It's poeme. It means a a poem or a song or a painting or or a masterpiece. In other words, the Lord is the one that comes and, and he molds who we are and what we are to become. It's a beautiful thing. Do you think it's a beautiful thing? He's talking about inner beauty here. He takes pleasure in making us beautiful. You are a beautiful person. Some of you may even look in the mirror and go, no, I'm not. You are a beautiful person to the Lord and to anybody who is the Lord's people. We were a lump of clay. We were worthless. We were worthless completely. You have ever had a person who has told you, you know, for me personally, I had a person tell me, well, you, you just don't know what you're doing in ministry at all. You, you'll, you'll never make it as a, as a teacher of the word. <laughs> he had a, my, res, I mean, my, my uh, resignation on his desk the next day. His view of ministry and my view of ministry are completely different. His view of ministry was going out there, you know, getting those, those fringe kids. I, when I was working out of college, and my view was, man, we've got, we got a ton of kids here that, that want to learn the Word of God. Let's, let's, let's mold them. And his view was I was supposed to ignore those people and go after the ones on the fringe. And I'm sitting there going, that was not my calling. That was not my job. We have to understand our calling. We have to understand our job because we are a lump of clay that the Lord molds. Never let somebody tell you that you were no good. Never let a father tell you, or a principal tell you, or a mother tell you, or a boss, or a husband, or a wife, 
God has made you beautiful. He has. Use that beauty to change this world. It's that inner beauty that attracts people to the Lord. Now, when is the artwork done? You ask an artist, when's the artwork done? When is that painting done? That painting is not done until the artist says it's done, right? Yeah, you may come back a few days later, do a little bit more on that painting. Goes away, then a few days later comes back and goes, I want to change this. Ask the Lord with us. He's continually working on us. We need to allow the Lord to, to work in our lives to change us. Then at the end of chapter 3, Paul says, you know, he prays for us again. And we went over this heavily last week, so I'm just going to barely hit it. And he, he prayed that we would have soul strength. S-O-U-L, soul strength. That we would work out our inner muscle. That Christ would dwell in our hearts. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. That we would get it. That we would start to understand God's love for our life. That we would be filled with the fullness of God above anything and everything that we could ever imagine or ask for. That's what Paul prayed for us. Have you ever laid down roots into something and then later on you find out that it's no good at all? I think of, when, when I started thinking about this, I think of David in the Bible. You know, Samuel comes and says to, to, to Jesse, hey, one of your sons is the next king of Israel. And Jesse is all excited. He gets, you know, all the kids to come in and he brings in 11 of the 12. Here's my sons. And, and you know, Samuel goes through all of them and says, well, no, none of the, God didn't tell me any of these. Do you have another son? Oh, well, yeah, David, he's out tending the sheep. He's got the job that's the low man on the totem pole that no one wants to do. He's out there, so he calls him in. He picked David. And Samuel's like, I mean, uh, Jesse's like, okay. Then after it's all done, he's like, okay, David, go back out into the field. I mean, how about a vote of confidence? David didn't even get his father's approval. After Samuel, the prophet of God, came and anointed him as the next king of Israel. His brothers, you know, he went out to, you know, David and Goliath. You understand the story, but, you know, the backstory is David comes out to, to see his brothers, to deliver food to his brothers, and his brothers are like, you know, he's like, what's going on? Well, I'll go out there. I'll take them. And they're like, you, you, little runt, just get on home. That's how he's treated. How did he become the man after God's own heart? How did he become Psalms 1? It says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the river. How he got that way is because he was rooted in the love of God. The Apostle Paul is rooted in that same love, the unconditional love of the Lord. And now, some of us, have never experienced this really unconditional love. And what we tend to do is, after we accept God, we keep God at kind of arm's length, maybe because uh, of the way we were brought up in our family or something that happened to us, or, or maybe we had a stern family, not a really lovey-dovey family, or, or, you know, whatever happened in your past, or, or maybe you got married and, and that situation didn't work out, and so your idea of love is, is kind of skewed a little bit. There's an unconditional love that's waiting for you. Don't keep God at arm's length. I want to challenge you to become grounded in God's love. Paul says to be rooted and grounded in love. And you know what? It's a love that's beyond anything that you could ever imagine. So he tells all of this to us before we get to a point 
where he starts giving commands to us in chapter 4. Because all these things in chapter 4 are completely foundless, completely worthless, unless you understand chapters 1, 2, and 3. Unless you understand God's attitude towards you and how much he loves you, then chapter 4 is worthless. That's why we spent so much time in those three chapters. So let's move into chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, we're probably not going to get too much further than that today. But I'm glad our goal is not to rush through the books. It's, our goal is to understand what God is trying to teach us through these books, being fed and nourished along the way. Paul starts out and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, he, he's basically saying, hey guys, remember, I'm the one in prison. I'm literally shackled to these other guys. As a prisoner for the Lord, and remember earlier, it's for you, that's why I'm in these shackles, because I'm in here because of God, because I'm telling everyone that he's available to you. So that's why he was in these shackles. I have the right to talk to you like this, he's saying. It's like a, like a mother talking to a son. Hello, this is your mother talking. You need to listen to me. I deserve to be listened to. Or a coach has taken a team through, to a, through a championship. He has a right to talk to his team a certain way at certain times. There's a respect there. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now the word worthy is the Greek word axios. It's a marketplace word. It's like buying in bulk. You know, when we think buying in bulk, we think Costco, right? You know, go and buy that 300 pack of toilet paper and you can fit 40 in your cabinet and you're going, what do I do with the other 260? But, but buying in bulk, it was a little different. In fact, if you go over there today, you can buy certain things in bulk, and basically they have scales there, and you go and weigh it. It's like, you know, you want 30 pounds of nuts for whatever you're doing. Okay, you go and you, you, you weigh it. So that's what we're, the word here, axios, is, is, uh, is the cross beam between the two scales. Okay? He is saying, here's the scale. Right here, here's the scale. Live your life according to what one side of the scale is going to say. You know, take your calling, take every, you know, chapters one through three, and dump it right on this scale. And all of a sudden that scale goes, plock, you know, just boom. And he goes, now start living your life according to that. And it starts evening it out to understand our calling. So the first three chapters is teaching us it was all about God. So we put that on one side of the scale. Now chapter 4 is all about your walk, the other side. Now I don't think any of us feel that, you know, like, we walk worthy every day, huh? Well, I'm, I'm just walking worthy for the Lord. I'm just going along in life. I'm just doing really well. You know, so many of us relate to when Paul wrote the words, the things that I do, I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I do not do. So many of us relate to that can't believe I didn't take that opportunity. It was right there. God had it there. I can't believe I did that sin again. Man, I, I keep trying not to. 
Paul is going to tell us, just walk worthy of your calling. So he's like, okay, we'll put God over here on this side. Put you on this side, your, your, your walk. And he starts out and he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, how many of you would say, okay, oh, that's easy, I can do that. This is a huge scale for us, isn't it? First of all, be completely humble. To have humility. This is not exactly valued in our culture, isn't it? This doesn't get you the job. They want you to hand in a resume that says, I can change your company for the world. I mean, I, I can explode your cells. If you go in and say, well, I'm going to do a really good job, and, and, and I think I can do this, I think I can do that, they're going to go, okay, w- which person do we want? That's what the world says. You've got to go out there and exemplify, these are my traits, and I, I'm going to do a great job. But in reality, the company wants a humble person. But the system, the world system doesn't work. Paul says that Jesus was humble. So be humble. What did Jesus say? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Both Paul and, and, and Peter, uh, you know, teach about this. If I said, list, uh, list, the, uh, list for me the, the characters that are, that are humble, would Peter come to mind? Think of the New Testament characters. Is Peter humble? Well, Peter's like the one that's in your face all the time. He's the one that, that says stuff without thinking. Yet, later in life, the Holy Spirit just took Peter and started chopping off certain things, certain things in his personality, and molded him into a godly man. History tells us that, that Peter was so humble that, that when he was going to be crucified, that he said, I don't even deserve to be crucified like Christ. Can you put me upside down? Which is, which is even more excruciating. He was like, I don't even deserve what Christ had. Peter would be a person that would say, don't, don't go to a statue of me and kiss my toe. Peter would be a person who would say, don't, don't name a church after me. He wouldn't want that because that would distract from the Lord. And in fact, 1 Peter 1, 5, it says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace for the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The holy and humble person knows that he's in it for the long haul. Just keep doing your job. Just keep walking for the Lord because the Lord will ultimately recognize you. God will take care of you. But don't take on this world's arrogance that that has this self-promoting attitude that, that the world says that you need to have. The next word he says is gentle. Walk with humility and gentleness. Now these, they, these two go together, but they're, they're different. The Greek word for, for, for gentleness is, is preus. It means meekness. Another quality in this world that, that, you know, the world just doesn't go for. Oh, we got a new seminar. To get ahead in this world, come to our meekness seminar. Imagine a 30-minute infomercial late at night on being meek. How to be meek. You just, no way, you're just not going to see it. 
Now, what is meekness? Most people associate meekness with being weak. Well, how do you, how do you know this? Well, Jesus wasn't meek. Of all men, Jesus was the strongest who ever lived. The self-control that this man had. Sometimes he appeared weak. When did he appear weak? When he was exercising praise. When was that? When he was exercising self-control. Because I guarantee the things that he allowed men to do to him, there's no way I'm going to allow that. And the Lord's sitting there going, I know, and I need to work on that with you, Alan. You need a little more praise in your life. That's self-control. When he allowed his enemies to do stuff, he could have stopped them instantly. But he allowed them to do those things. It was meekness. Very difficult to be meek. Who, you know, who in the Old Testament does the Bible say was the meekest? Well, there's, there's plenty of them, but Moses is one of them. You know, Moses was called a meek person. And yet Moses goes before Pharaoh. But I don't think he went to Pharaoh like this. Um, um, Pharaoh, I, you know, could you please do this for me? Let my people go. I mean, it'd go a long way with my people. They'd be very happy with me. You know, and then he had the stuttering, and then you throw that into it, you know. Uh, uh, Pharaoh, could, could, could you please? No, he didn't do that. He went under the Holy Spirit's guidance, and he went in there and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Yet he's a meek person. So what is meekness? It's praise. Have you ever, has anyone here ever had a horse? Been around horses? Ever seen a horse? Excellent, your hands go up. Good, good. Well, for those that have trained a horse, it's called breaking them. But you don't really break a horse. You don't, your goal is not to really break them. It's just a term that's used. It's more of a way of controlling them. Because you don't want to break their spirit. Because that's why you got that horse, right? I mean, if you're a horse lover and you go in and, and, and you're attracted to a certain type of spirit in a horse, you're, you know, in, the, in, in a sense, a certain style of a horse, and then you get them, you don't want to take that complete style out of them, right? So you don't break them completely. You're just wanting to control them. So what are you doing? You're establishing who is in control. Preus. They still have the spirit and independence, but, we, but they start to understand who is in control. So you, you do this because you don't want the horse to injure, you know, injure himself, or you don't want the horse to injure you when you're on the horse either. You know, I, I grew up in Texas. I'm going to the rodeo all the time. and Those, those idiots that get on the bulls, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't know why they want to be injured because that's what usually ends up happening. But you know, a well-broken you know, well horse is a very happy horse to the point where you don't need a whip, you don't need a, a spur, you just use your knees and squeeze a certain direction and the horse goes that way, or you just, you know, a gentle voice and, and they understand, they start to recognize your voice. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. If we recognize Jesus' voice, in a sense, he doesn't have to scream at us, Right? See, my son is learning my voice. He knows when I'm playing with him. 
He knows when I'm joking around with him. He knows when I'm not playing or joking around. He knows when I want him to stop whatever he's doing immediately. And I have that stern voice because he's fixing to hurt himself and I don't want him hurt, right? That's what every, no parent wants their child hurt. I mean, I know he'll have to fall and have scratches and all those things growing up. Don't get me wrong, not overbearing. But when he's pulling something, he's going to land on his head. I'm like screaming at him, stop, you know, and he understands that. He knows when I'm pleased, when I want him to pay attention to me. See, the Lord is the same way. He's like, Alan, Alan, don't do that. And I know his joyous voice because I spend those wonderful times with him. I know I'm, I'm starting, and it's a process. Don't get me wrong, I don't know at all. But I'm starting to learn the, the Lord's voice and, and when he's happy with me, when he's sad with me, when he's when he, you know, instructing me. If we learn the Lord's voice, man. And when I'm praise, then I don't question what the Lord wants me to do. I just do it. See, praeus is controlled strength. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in the book of James. He, he, he talks about the, you know, how to control a big horse is with a little bit in the mouth. And the bit goes up into the jaw and you can control a big horse. And if we allow the Lord to control us, life is so much easier and we'd be much happier. Well, he goes on in verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. And this word patient is long-suffering. So the word is, is macrothumia. Two words. Macro means big, right, or long is another, another definition of that. Thumia is heat or anger. That means big anger, long anger. I mean, it takes a long time to get there. So it takes me a lot, you know, a lot longer to get angry. Long-suffering is Jesus on the cross. Long-suffering is Jesus before Herod listening to the words being said about him that were untrue. Long-suffering is Jesus being friends with a guy like Peter. It means keep poking me and I won't pay attention. It's no big deal. So that, take this into to your own life. Who's been jabbing you? You know, with that little sharp side stick that just goes right into your side who's been jabbing you Jesus says walk worthy who is trying to control you well God is trying to control you and we keep fighting with God so Jesus says what he says turn the other cheek the world says no way you need to get angry quickly you need microthumia I mean you need small anger in other words very quickly you know I had a when I was growing up in uh, college and I, a friend of mine and myself went to, to college on an athletic training scholarship. So we started out in sixth grade doing this all the way through and went to college on scholarship on it and stuff. And, and uh, we'd been friends for a long time. And uh, another buddy in college we got to know really, really good, he, he kind of stopped one day and he, he looked at me and he goes, you know the difference between you two? We're like, no, I don't know. He goes, well, David, you're like a Corvette. When you get angry, boom, you're angry. You just go off. And he goes, Alan, you're, you're a lot more like, a, like an old pickup truck. It takes you a while to get there, but once you're going, you're there. And it was like that. You know, you can poke me for a long time, but when I finally get there, you're going to see my head come off. 
And the Lord's dealing with that. You know, that's, everybody has certain things about them that the Lord deals with. Macrothumia takes a long time. Be completely humble and gentle, being patient. Now remember the scale here. Bearing with one another in love. Now what is bearing? There's two different views on this. One is a load-bearing wall. You go into to Costco or Walmart, you see the big poles, you're, you know, you're pushing a cart down the aisle and there's a pole in the way. The reason why that pole is in the way is because it's holding up something very important. It's called the roof. That's a load-bearing. Now, we call it load-bearing walls because in homes, certain walls, you can cut holes into as long as you put headers in the, uh, you know, get into all these uh, different building terms. You can put headers in the wall and all this stuff. You can do it if you do it properly. But if you take a a hole in the wall or take out a wall that's load-bearing and you don't support that wall, what happens? Well, eventually, something's going to damage, you know. Your roof starts leaking or maybe even crashing in. You know, just go to Walmart. Just cut, cut a few of those poles off and just watch what happens. Okay, don't do that, but, you know, it's kind of fun to think about. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does what? It bears all things. To walk worthy is to bear all things. The second application of this word is, is that we bear with each other. You know the term, bear with me. Just, just, just bear with me. It usually means I'm going to take a long time. Usually means I'm going to keep talking. You know, it's like one of my sermons. You just bear with me until, you know, about noon I'm going to wrap up, right? You know, some people don't like that I went to the iPad for my sermons. Well, you think, well, what does it make a difference? Well, I used to have paper up here and they could count how many pages and they knew how many pages I usually had. And they would sit there and they would count. And I get to the last page, I could kind of see through it, you know? It's bearing with me. Now they can't do it. So, you know, it's annoying to them. Paul says, be like Christ. Bear with each other. Be patient. You know, everyone, I dare say, has annoying features about them. You know what I'm saying? And what annoys me may not annoy you. So you get one group of annoying people that really like each other because none of the things that they do annoy each other. And then you get another group of people together and all their annoying points, they don't know any, But man, you try to get those two groups into one, whoa, no, there's going to be some annoyance, right? Bear with each other. Put up with those annoyances. Why? Because chapters one through three, God loves you and he's working on each one of us. And we should love each other. We should bear with one another. You know, it's like when we stop bearing with one another, it's like a bad marriage. It's like when a marriage starts to go south. When you finally make a decision, I don't like this, all of a sudden what happens? Every little thing starts to annoy you. That is not bearing with one another. That's causing conflict. He says bear with one another. You ever find yourself being, you know, the not bearing part? Then you're not being like Christ. And when we act like this, it starts to what? Divide us. And that's not a good thing. Verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. That's a work word. Oh, man. I hate words like that, don't you? Man, I've got to work on this. Every effort. It's work to keep the unity of the Spirit. What is unity of the Spirit? Does it mean that we all have to agree on everything all the time? No. In fact, it's healthy for a church to have disagreement 
disagreements on some issues, just not the core issues. That's why I have a disagreement with Pastor Joel Olstein. It's a core issue for me. Who is Jesus Christ? What is he in relation to God? What is that in relation to me? And how do I go to heaven? Those are basic core issues. But there's other issues that are, that are kind of the gray area issues that, that we won't find out who's right or wrong until we get to heaven. And then it probably won't matter anyway. But it's important that we keep the unity of the Spirit. Not everything that you agree on and not everything I agree on is biblically correct. In fact, I've you know, come up here sometimes and go, you know what I taught last week? I, I did a little more study and I was wrong on this one point. Sometimes we, we have to go and say that because not everything we believe is correct. I think one of the biggest failures in today's church is that I believe this and I can't believe that you don't believe exactly what I believe Therefore, we can't be friends anymore. I think that is the biggest failure of the church, the church not getting along. And you're like, well, you've got to be joking. We used to hang out together, used to vacation, used to eat together, but, but now we can't even be friends because of this? This is where we have failed. We can't turn into this. We can't turn into our way is the right way or I can't be around you anymore. It's sad when, when whole churches do this. We can't hang out with that other church down the road. Because, you know, they, they do things differently. Now I'm talking about churches that are, are like-minded on, on the basic principles of, of who God is. In fact, you know, I recently called a, a, another pastor and, and talked to him because we've got a small youth group here, you know, and, and they got a small youth group over there. And I thought, hey, why don't we try to, like, do activities together or maybe Wednesday night or, you know, the weeknight or Fridays or Saturdays or what. Let's try to do that together. And then on Sundays, you know, we go to our own churches. His answer was no. His answer was no, you know, and, but there was more behind that answer. It was we do things right over here, and we don't want to associate our kids with something that may be wrong. How sad is that? And I'm sitting there going, well, I won't go into where, where my mind went, but I'm just saying it's just sad. We're supposed to bear with one another. We're supposed to be in unity of the Spirit. It doesn't say unity of opinion. It doesn't say unity of style. Keeps what? The unity of what? The Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament and New Testament, both of them talk about the Holy Spirit as, as being oil. Now, why is that? Well, what does oil do? Other than make a big mess sometimes. Like when I changed the oil in the lawnmower the other day here at church. I made a big mess. But oil is important. You know, I wanted to just empty the oil out and say, forget it. I'm done. Let's just mow the lawn. But you've got to put oil back in it because it reduces the friction. If we allow the Holy Spirit to reduce the friction amongst us, so we can disagree on certain, you know, some, you know, uh, some issues, but, but still fellowship together, you know, a healthy church allows for that disagreement. You know, I'll let you know right now. If you disagree with me on any subject, I totally respect your right to be wrong. No, no, I, I do. And I'll be patient with you. I'll be long-suffering with you. No, 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 no. What it means is that nobody is totally, you know, 100% correct. We're supposed to, to be like the Lord. 
you know, certain things that we hold dear to. And we say, okay, the, these are our core values, and we're not going to change those core values. And you can disagree with this other stuff over here, and that's fine. Fellowship with us, as long as you don't go against these core values. That's what's important. But don't let disagreements break our fellowship. You're going to go to another church because you disagree with certain things? And now, I'm not saying the sermon because somebody right now is disagreeing with me on something. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that once you get to a disagreement, let's work it out. It's awful when it doesn't. Why? It hurts. It hurts relationships. It hurts fellowship. It hurts the church. It hurts everything. Do your very best to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, Titus was teaching at a church on the island of Crete. He was basically the bishop of Crete. He was in charge of all the churches. And Paul writes them, avoid foolish arguments and disputes. They're unprofitable and useless. So what is Paul saying? Don't fight about dumb things. Don't. Just stop. Because that distracts you from what's really important in the body. Paul also says, don't let quarrelsome people into your leadership. They're welcome in the church, but don't allow them to, into leadership, you know, unless they, you know, submit to the Spirit of the Lord. Because an arguing church forgets its mission very quickly and focuses on the inward things instead of the outward things. It's important not to do that. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's look at the word bond and, and we'll be done for the day. Bond is a Greek word, sundesmos. It means ligament. You know what a ligament is, right? Everybody, you should have shake your head yes. You know, we really don't pay attention to ligaments until we pull one or tear one, right? We just kind of ignore them. Then it becomes a big deal. And it takes a long time to repair a ligament. Well, what a ligament is to the body of Christ, well, what is it to a body? It keeps bone and bone from staying, you know, keeping them together so they don't go like this, right? Think of this as your knee joint. Ligament keeps it from going this way, keeps it from going this way, allows it to go this way, and keeps it from going this way, right? Yeah, I've seen that once. It's bad. It really is bad. And I put down my camera. I shouldn't have. I should have taken a picture first. I know, that's just my mind. Hey, all the doctors kept coming in there and, you know, going, I've never seen this before. I want to see the x-rays. I mean, this guy, well, anyway, I won't go there. If you want to hear the story, come talk to me. But it's an anchor. It's a connector. It's a soft tissue. It connects bone to bone. It protects our organs, too. It's what connects and it limits my movements. The ligament says, nope. Can't do that. Now, we don't show off our ligaments, do we? Oh, look at my ligaments. No, we show off our muscles, and I'm not going to do that either. But ligaments are important. In fact, I have one shoulder that's messed up, and if you want to see this later too, I, I will, I'll just do it quickly, but my shoulder, you just press on it, and it comes right out. Because my ligaments, as a child, I, I, I got them stretched out. So I, I start carrying anything, I just go, well, my arm just comes right out. So, I mean, it's cool if you get the shirt and you can see it, you know. 
they're important. They hold things together. If I didn't have my muscle there, my arm would just go right off. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the ligaments of peace. Now, we're going to get to the whole body of Christ later. And, 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 you know, and Paul starts talking about blood and skin and even fat and all these other things. You know, all about our bodies. And, and he relates it to a healthy church. I mean, we've got to breathe, right? We've got to eat, right? Who knows how long we're going to spend on it. It'll be fun. But the ligaments are important. These are the ones that hold the body together. Now, they don't have all the new ideas. They're not showy. They're not the muscle. They're not the mouth. But they hold everything together. You have to have ligaments to have a healthy body. They're not that spectacular, but you need them. Now, how many ligaments are in a human body? Did you know there's over 900 ligaments in the body? They're important. I mean, just ask a boneless chicken. Sorry, I had to go there. (laughs) How do they walk around? I don't know. Okay. But you can tell when we finally get to the body thing, it's going to be a lot of fun, at least for me. But you have 900 ligaments in only one mouth, yet we all want to be the mouth, don't we? Why? Well, it's more fun. But we need those who keep us together. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's go back and read this one more time, just these three verses, and we'll be done. As a prisoner for the Lord then, and then means everything else we just talked about, all the wonderful things that God thinks about you. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to walk, uh, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you can turn us into a church that reflects just these three verses here. That we begin to to be humble and gentle with each other, that we are patient, that we are long-suffering with each other. Lord, I know there's things that I do that annoy other people, and I know there's things that other people do that annoy me. And Lord, I pray that we not allow those annoyances to get in the way of relationships between one another, that we are together in one spirit, and that's your spirit, Lord, that love. I pray that we never allow things to come in between a a church body to the point where we leave that church body on a negative term because it doesn't reflect who you are, Lord. And we do want to reflect that in our life. And I thank you, Lord, that, that my side of the scale doesn't have to live up to your side of the scale in the sense of there's nothing I can do to earn your love because you already love me, and I thank you for that, Lord. I pray now that you, that you bless us and keep us, Lord, that you watch over us, that you allow your unity to, to flood through us. That your face never turn from us, Lord. May your peace be amongst us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.